Dan is going to take us into Matthew 25 today, into a couple of parables. So if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 25 or read it on the screen, we're going to start in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the ta two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have so not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talents from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may be seated. Nice ending. Hello, everybody. I'm blessed to be with you today to bring the word of the Lord to us. I want to thank some people, first of all. I want to give uh, a lot of thanks to our worship groups. They do an amazing job for us every single week. 
And that one song always just sort of brings tears to my eyes as I listen to all of our voices collectively together. Yahweh, Yahweh, I love to shout thy name, O Lord. I mean, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord with people that just love to be into his presence? And then I want to thank uh, Chris, who, as you know, is not here today. Uh, I think he's done a masterful job guiding us through some of the most controversial waters of Scripture. Um, it's unfortunate that there are some things that I think that the Holy Spirit uh, purposes to bring us together. And yet, the enemy always looks for the opportunity to do what? Tear us apart. And when you think of some of the things that would unite us to make us one, somehow he's able to sort of wiggle in there and churches divide over different things. So good example is what a gift we've been given with the Holy Spirit, right? And yet you have churches because the Holy Spirit's what empowers us gives us the strength. We can't do anything on our own. And the Spirit of God is always wanting to do what? Bring us together to make us one. And yet churches divide over the Holy Spirit. What's your thoughts? What are the gifts? What are this? What are that? And all of a sudden churches, denominations split over that. The same holds true with, quote, eschatology. What a wonderful thing to rejoice in the fact that Jesus is coming again. Amen? And yet, as we get into all of this, all of a sudden, what's meant to unite us, he wiggles his way in and say, well, what's your thoughts about this? When do you think this will take place? Are you pre? Are you mid? Are you post? Is there a millennium or an, And before you know it, what's meant to bring us together, now we have different camps, right? Sad. And so as we now approach Passion Week, Contextually, we know that we are now in Jerusalem. How long has it been that we've been going through Matthew? I know we joke and say it's been, what, 10 years? Um, maybe three. But we are now there. And, and the context of all of this is that his disciples are asking him the question, so what's the end look like? Now, before I jump into that, as I said, I think Chris has done a masterful job guiding us through these controversial waters of end time stuff. It's been smooth sailing. Now, let's just pray that I don't mess things up, okay? You listening, Chris? I'm going to do my best. But first, something else. This is, let me get all my uh, commercials out of the way. I am excited, I am ecstatic to announce that we are going to Israel. And so Israel has reopened, 
And we want to extend an invitation to you all to join us. I have over there on the table a little business card that says Holy Ground. I'm not going to go into detail, but our trip is going to be in September. And I have to be honest with you, I've walked with the Lord for about 50 years. I know many of you are thinking, so you came to know Jesus when you were born? But um, <laughs> I've been walking with him for about 50 years. And the one thing that impacted my life more than anything else was my experience the first time that I went to Israel. I don't know how to put it into words, but I usually will put it to you this way. If you love the Bible, if you love talking to Jesus, if you love listening to Jesus, then sometime in your lifetime, you've got to walk that land. Because those black and white words on your page that we call the Word of God transform into living color when you walk that land. It's been our dream, Sharon and I, to be able to lead a group from Anthem. And so we're happy to announce Israel's reopened. Anybody can go, whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed. And if you get this card, you go to our website, you can find all the information on that. So, announcement out of the way. Um, I think the big question in this portion that we've read today is what does God want to convey to us through these two parables? Josh is in the back, and I want to thank Josh because we, uh, we have a sermon group that meets on Wednesday, and, and we start at 10, and we end around noon or whatever, and we just sort of read over the scriptures and say, what do you think? What, what's the point? What, what's the takeaway? And all this sort of stuff. And as we were going through this parable, uh, Josh made a statement that in the middle of the night last night, God woke me up. I'm got no doubts about this and he said remember what Josh said so thank you Josh you woke me up in the middle of the night and what Josh actually said is this he says sometimes we just need to let the word of God do the heavy lifting sometimes we just need to remember the power of God's word and as I was in that twilight I remember that passage or that verse from Isaiah 55 that says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that it should not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. You don't need my thoughts and opinions. I'm not going to try to twist your arm, motivate you to do this or that. That ain't my job. My job is to say, hear the word of the Lord. This is God's word. And the question has to be as we sit here right now, what are you saying to me today? What's my takeaway? 
Jesus said often, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So let's pray once again as we jump into these parables. Lord, we all have ears here, and it's our desire that we would hear the word of the Lord. We would hear your voice. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you take these words of scriptures and you make them come alive in us. And so we want to understand the context, and yet we want to understand what does this say to us today? We want to be a people known for following you and walking close to you. So we give you this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start off by taking you to Israel. Um, I'm going to take you, we've all been invited to a wedding. You like going to weddings? I'm going to take you to a wedding, but it's going to be a Jewish wedding, okay? And I'm going to take you to the place, I was thinking, where do I want to take them? Do I want to take them to Capernaum? Do I want to take them to Magdala? Do I want to take them to the top of Mount Arbel? All places that I absolutely love. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take you to Magdala. So we're going to get in the time machine, and we're going to go back in time, and we're going to, we've arrived in Magdala. Now, we want to go to the gates of the city because there's a buzz going on. And what's happening in Magdala is that there's going to be a proposal. And the, the city is buzzing. And everybody goes to the gates of the city because that's where the elders are. That's where every decision is made. And this gentleman has alerted his community that he's about ready to read a contract. And so we're talking a Jewish wedding here. So the word goes out, and the guy's name is Daniel. And Daniel has gathered the elders of the city together, and everybody can't wait to hear what's going on. And he said, please send word to Sharon and her family and bring them to the gates of the city. It's a wedding, right? Actually, not quite. In the context of our parable, this is the betrothal. And what happens is Daniel gets everybody together. Sharon, this is my wife Sharon, by the way. Sharon, the rose of Sharon. So Sharon is there with her family, and Daniel now takes a document called a ketubah, and he's written out a contract, and, and he is nervous. And so he's holding the contract. Everybody's gathered around, and he begins to read. Sharon, if you will have me to be your husband, I will love 
I will cherish. I will listen to you. I will work hard to provide for you. I will create a godly environment in our home in which you can grow. I will wash you in the word of the Lord. I will keep myself for you all of our days. For better, for worse, you know that part, right? And then for me, talking to Sharon today, I added this at the end saying, and, and I will try to figure out how the dishwasher works, okay? <laughs> so that is a ketubah, and at that point in time, everybody's waiting with bated breath because you know what's going to happen next? Sharon is going to be given a cup, and this cup is going to be filled with wine. And as Sharon takes this cup, everybody's wondering what is going to happen next. She can listen to this contract and say, no, thank you. Or she can take the cup, put it to her lips, and drink the wine. And if she does that, you would think, what? That the bands would start playing? that they would say, Mazel tov, or whatever. No. At that point in time, her taking that cup and drinking it was simply an agreement that they were betrothed. So as she, I was going to give it to her today. I was going to fill it up with water. I was telling Angela, and then I was saying, hey, I know it's water, but the Messiah, the the one that we follow has this ability to turn water to wine, so I'll just give it to her as water, let her drink of it. And then I thought, we had a good morning, but, you know, I'm not going to risk that. Sort of. <laughs> so I wanted to give you this as a background to this story of these ten virgins. Okay? So, so this is the betrothal. It's binding, by the way. Uh, it could only be undone through literally divorce, and, and the woman, of course, would be pure. This should remind us of a story, right? This is Mary and Joseph. They were betrothed, and then what happened? Joseph found out Mary was with child, and he saw it. People were saying, you have the right to divorce her. So this betrothal that takes place after she drinks the wine in acceptance of this contract, the groom, the bride's groom, gives a gift to the parents. It's called the bride price. At that point in time, um, you would think, like I said, that it, in, in our sense, it's time to put the ring on and get on with it, but that's not what took place in a Jewish wedding. So here in Magdala, once the betrothal took place, the young man would announce as she's drinking the wine, he would say, I am now leaving. And he would use these words. I am going to prepare a place for you. 
and I will return for you when it's ready. The usual practice was for a young man to return where? To his father's house. And he would build an addition to that house because in the Middle East, that's how you, that's family. And so it's the father's house. He's left. He's now gone to build this addition. He's not allowed to skimp on the work and had to get the father's approval before he could consider it completely ready for his bride. And if he was asked, what's the actual date of the wedding, he would have to reply, guess what? Only the father knows. I hope some of this is like ringing a bell for us scripturally, right? I go to prepare a place for you And when Jesus is asked literally, when are you coming back, what does he say? Only the Father knows that, okay? And so meanwhile, what's the bride do? The bride would be making herself ready that she would be pure and beautiful for the bridegroom. During this time, she would wear a veil whenever she went out to show that she was Spoken for, for you see, she had been bought with a price. And then comes the wedding. When the wedding chamber is ready, the bridegroom can come and collect his bride. He could do this at any time so that the bride had to be prepared. It was the custom for the bride to keep a lamp, her veil, and other things beside her bed. Her bridesmaids were also waiting, and they were to have oil ready for their lamps. When the groom and his friends got close to the bride's house, they would give a shout, they would blow a shofar to let her know to be ready. That's the setting. And so, when the dwelling's ready, only the father can say, go get your bride. And remember, the Jewish day's different than ours. Our day begins with what? Sunrise, right? And our day ends nighttime, opposite in Israel. In Israel, the day begins At sunset. So if the father says to the son, go get your bride, today's the day, he's going to be leaving when it's dark. And the processional that took place would be as he's making his way to pick up his bride, word goes out, behold, the bridegroom cometh, the shofar sounds, And there's to be a processional that takes place. The Talmud says that most all of the wedding parties at this time consisted of 10. So we have how many virgins? We have 10. And as the bridegroom comes, that's the setting now for our first parable. So are you ready? 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps and the bridegroom was delayed and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, rather go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And when they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Notice the description of these 10 virgins were not that five were bad and five were good. It was that five were wise and five were foolish. Both the wise and the foolish maidens that we read about here, they both fell asleep, right? But it was the wise ones that were prepared to act immediately when they were unexpectedly awakened. And it was the foolish maidens who were not prepared The five foolish virgins appeared to be ready for the bridegroom, but because they didn't have oil for their lamps, they really weren't ready. In fact, they looked the part, but they weren't ready. And so when we look at this and we ask ourselves, okay, 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 what's the takeaway for us? What does this mean? What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean? And and you know, the stakes seem to be pretty high. In fact, when we look at this, the penalty for not being ready is severe. They were not allowed to come, not only were they not allowed to come in to the wedding feast, the words that are spoken here are harsh, right? The words that are spoken here, he says to them, I never knew you. You're not invited. You'll be on the outside always. 
And like I said, the, the troubling thing about this parable is that all of these virgins were part of the bridal party. I mean, I think we could understand if it said, and five of them were godly, and five of them were Satan worshipers, right? You, you look at that and you say, oh, no wonder they don't get in. But that, that's not what the text says. And so the big question, and you know what? You know how often it was that the disciples would hear a parable? And remember, a parable simply put, is a, you've probably heard this definition before, it's a heavenly story, or it's a earthly story with a heavenly message. Okay, the word parable in Greek leads, literally just means to throw alongside of, so that there's a truth that wants to be commit, understood, but there's a story that goes alongside of that to emphasize that truth. So this is a parable. And, and, and at the end of it, you know, and Jesus taught in parables a lot. And there are times that whether it's Peter or John or Nathaniel or Levi or whatever, it appears that there are times that Jesus would talk in parables and they would have that blank look on their face like, huh? And so then he would actually explain it to them, Right? And there are times that the disciples would actually say to him, what's all this supposed to mean? But here, unfortunately, what? They don't say anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, it would have been nice if one of you would have said, um, I got some questions about this, right? What is this supposed to mean? And, and remember the context. Back in early 24, that chapter, they're saying, show us, tell us what the signs are of your coming because if we're going to be ready, what should we be looking for? And what does it mean to be ready? But unfortunately, they don't ask. And we're just left with that. And so, like I said in the beginning... I'm tempted to tell you what it means to be ready, but I have to let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting here. But with that being said, I think this second parable is the hinge to this. I think this second parable is going to give us more answers to the question of what does it mean to be ready. So let's take a look at that one. And, and by the way, the, the background, I gave you the background of the Jewish wedding. The background here, because it seems rather strange, but I want to say that during this time, if you were a man of great wealth and you had a household filled with hired hands and servants, how do you deal with your resources? And so it was typical... At this time, the safest way to manage your wealth would be to entrust it to your servants, your hired hands. So we might read this and think, wow, this is kind of weird. I don't know if I do that. In these days, this is how it worked. And so with that in mind as a background, and really with the question that was left unanswered with the bridesmaids, 
what does readiness look like? Let's take a look. Verse 14 says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and his, his entrusted ones to them and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents He made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, delivered to me two talents, and here, look, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, or he also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what's yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money. And at my coming, I should have been able to receive some kind of interest. And then verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, the stakes are high here. These are not, uh, these are part of the family, part of the household. Now we can say a couple things that jump to our mind about the first two servants. It it, it says that they went and traded immediately. Um, 
I think we can say they did their work promptly. We can say they did their work with perseverance. They did their work with a whole heart. They were ready to give an account even though the master was delayed. And did you notice what the master said to them? He did not say to the one that had five and got five more, well done, good and successful servant. No, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a difference between success and being faithful, right? And what he highlights here is that you were faithful in what I gave to you. And because they were both faithful and they invested and they worked and they used their gifts and talents, he says to them, because of all that, enter into the joy of your master. Wow. But then we have that other guy. There was a long delay. We're not told how long it was, but it was a long delay. And no doubt, it would have been tempting to think that they'd never have to give an account for what was given to them. And so what is the charge against this last guy? The charge against this servant who merely just buried his talent. He didn't lose it, right? He didn't squander it. He knew it wasn't his. So he just hid it. And so when the master came back, notice what he said. He said, here's what's yours. And yet what's the response? Slothful, lazy, cursed, even what you have will be taken away. I told Angela when she was finished reading, thanks for the ending, right? You're going to be what? Where there's cast out into the darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth? What can we say of this third servant? He didn't think. He didn't work. He didn't even try. He just made excuses. And so as we wrap this up, application, lesson, what is it? What do we need to learn from this? In the context of these parables, I think the main point's clear. Our readiness for Jesus' return is determined by our stewardship of the resources that he's given us. Some, some think all you gotta do is pray this prayer. You pray this prayer, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, find the closest rapture bus stop, sit and wait until that trumpet blows right? It's good news. That's all you got to do. It's a free gift of God, right? 
So some think that readiness for Jesus to return is just sort of a spiritual and abstract thing. But I don't think that's what these parables teach. I think it's a matter of us being about the business of our Lord. In light of this parable, I think we have to ask ourselves, what have we done with the gifts that he's given to us? What have we done with our knowledge? What have we done with our time? What have we done with our money? What have we done with our abilities? Spurgeon once said, the sins of omission, what we don't do, may ultimately be more dangerous than the sins of commission, what we do do. He went on to say, remember, my hearers, that in the day of judgment, thy account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He's going to ask you what you did with the gifts and the talents that he gave you. And so as I said, I'm not here now to say, here are your talents. I'm not here to twist your arms and say, you need to do this more or that more. It would be easy for me to say, uh, you need to read your Bible more. Um, you know, there's this 80-20 scenario that's universal with churches. Uh, 20% of the people do about 100% of the work. 20% of the people are the ones that are involved and serve. 20-20, it's the 20-80 principle. So I could land on that and say, where's those 80%? I'm after you. You're in this parable. No, not my job. Okay, I'm, I'm simply here to say when it all shakes down, my question is this, when you stand before the Lord, do you consider yourself to be a giver or are you a taker? Are you a spectator or are you a player? Are you a hearer only, or are you a doer? And then to the point of the parable, are you prepared? Are you unprepared? What are you doing with the gifts that he's given you? Joy, joy came to those that gave themselves to the Lord, right? They realized what was given to them was not theirs, and they jumped in and used their gifts and talents for him. In the world in which we live, we've been taught that joy is about ourselves and what we can do and what we can provide. Biblically speaking, you're gonna find this out to be true. No matter how much you get, 
it never satisfies. Joy comes when you give everything you got, whatever that means to him. Jesus said, you want to find your life? Lose it for my sake. So the question is going to be, where are we? Where are we in regards to the, the ten virgins? Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we ready for that processional? Are we ready to go into the joy of the Lord? Because I'll tell you, they didn't know. They didn't have the opportunity. It was nighttime, and it was like once that bridegroom was coming, you don't get the idea that they went out and found some sort of oil dispenser dealer that was able to give them what they needed to make it in time. No, it was preparation ahead of time, right? And so I don't want to, I want to allow the Spirit of God, and this would be a good time for Kyle and the gang to come up. I want to allow the Lord to speak to your heart in terms of these gifts and talents. But there is something that I want, and Chris talked on this last week, that I want to ask you for, a challenge, something for us to actually do. Um, in a few weeks, we have what I call Mount Everest coming. In a few weeks, we have the greatest of all miracles in the Bible taking place. The greatest event in the history of mankind in a few weeks. It is Mount Everest, right? And a few days before that, we'll be making our way to the base camp of Mount Everest. It will be on a Friday. And as we make our way to that base camp, we're going to have a gut punch. And we're going to realize what the gift of God is truly all about. And we're going to realize in that gut punch why something as tragic as our Lord losing his life and dying for us, why we can actually call it Good Friday. Right? We're going to realize that all of our sin, all of our shortcomings are, are nailed to the cross. And so we'll rejoice in what he did for us. But a few days later, we'll leave the base camp and we're going to go up to the top of Mount Everest. And at the top of the world, there will be a tomb. And as we go to that tomb and as we open that door, we'll go in. And when we come out, we will all say the same things. Death has been defeated. He is not here. He's risen. Amen? Now, my challenge to you is you've been entrusted with that message. Right? It's a gift. It's a talent. He's given it to you. And my challenge is as simple as it is, and I know sometimes we kind of make light of this because we talk about people that just come to church on what? Christmas and Easter, right? But let's not be naive. 
This is a great opportunity for us, friends, family, people that we work with, to say, come to church. This is Mount Everest for us. This is the date that we circle. Let's trust that the Lord will plant those seeds. But if he, if you say, I'll let the church advertise it, I'm not too sure how many people are going to go to our website, right? I think he's entrusted it to us. And we need to get this message out to as many that have ears to hear. Because I'll tell you what I love about our church. I love that we're known and that we seek to be known for what we believe in, not what we stand against, right? And you know what we believe in? We believe in Jesus. We believe and we want to stand for a place that people can come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We want to be those that extend an invitation in the highways and the byways, compelling them to come in, to come to know Jesus. I think he's entrusted that to us. And the question will be, what will you do with that? What does it mean to be ready? And are you willing to be a voice that will shout forth, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Get ready. So Jesus, we want to thank you for the word of the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we want to ask you to take these words. I know sometimes, Lord, we need sort of a spiritual wellness checkup. We need to set aside time to spend in your presence. Lord, we want to be your people and to walk in your ways, and we want to see people in this city come to know you. We want to be of those that are ready. We want to be like those two guys that took what you gave and invested them for the kingdom, and we want to inherit the joy of the Lord. And we know that in your word, you tell us that all of heaven, all of heaven will rejoice when just one comes to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we pray for our Easter service, for our Good Friday service, that heaven will be in an uproar because of those that have come to know you as Lord and Savior, and we pray this in the name that's above every name, that the mentioning of his name, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Amen?